fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Hello, welcome to another episode of Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies. This is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology and makes it a reality. We do that. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn. With me, physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon. Great to be here, Dan. And I do have to thank you for finally getting me to watch classic horror movies. I really, really appreciated it. You're welcome. It's what I do. There's a lot of good ones out there, Denon, and we're yeah. going to get to one of the best, I think, today, uh, but not before we introduce our enigmatic engineer, Ben Siebser. Ben, I think Enigma describes you, but it also describes this movie and the series as well. Uh, so where are you broadcasting from this week? Well, we've gotten some very strange reports out here in a location called Morningside, so I'm here to investigate some strange quantum effects. Well, I think you're going to find uh, you're going to find quite a few strange anomalies out there because we are talking about one of my favorite horror movies of all time, and that is Phantasm. And this is going to be an absolute treat, guys. I, whether you believe it or not, I know you guys, you both of you, are not exactly horror movie connoisseurs, but you're gonna. This might find this hard to believe, but Phantasm was an extraordinarily groundbreaking movie. Uh, it was different from all of the other franchises, all the horror franchises at the time, and as it, as it exists right now, I believe this is the only science fiction-based horror franchise that does not have aliens or robots or computers in them. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. What did you think, Denon? I'm, I'm curious what you thought about this. It's an interesting movie. Uh, I really, really did enjoy it, Dan, which surprised me given how bad the acting is, if I may say that. Or unique, the acting. I, I, I don't want to criticize people as someone who can't act either. Um, music was awesome. The, just some fun things in the plot. Uh, it was very, I don't know, it strangely sucked me in. And, and I just, I, I liked it. I, no pun I, intended, I right? No, yeah, no pun intended. I do have to say, though, I'm not sure we can strictly say, is it really true that there's no aliens when there's an alien planet? Mm. Oh, that's interesting. I they don't do know. come from another planet. Oh, we are kind of skirting the line there, aren't we, Dennis? Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know if they're aliens or if they're just using the planet. Yeah. As with everything in the movie, you really just don't know. That's very interesting. I didn't think about that. I think borderline. I will say maybe it's not a traditional alien so to speak, we can say that because the balls are kind of robotic, but they're not traditional robots. So I guess we yeah. can. You know? I, I'm with you on it. I would say no aliens and no robots in any sort of classic sense. So I support your statement. It's true. But we do have to admit that there's an alien planet. Sure, and, and technically robots, but we're we're really close on this one. We're really close on this one. Uh, ben, what did you think about this movie? Well, it was definitely a little on the confusing side. You know, it kind of seemed like all some sort of a fever dream. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I, I did think that's really by design. I really did appreciate that we finally found out what is under the robes of Jawas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think you know this is this movie is very strange for a couple of different reasons, and you hit one of them. The logic, it, you know, it's purposefully confusing. There's a dream logic that exists throughout all of these movies, and I'm going to tell you guys. While I didn't require you guys to watch all of them, in the spirit of excellence for the show, I did watch the entire series. And let me tell you, it doesn't get any more, any less confusing as you move on through the series. But I want to say a couple things here right off the bat, which I think are important. This, as I mentioned, this was an 
influential movie. The, the 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 version you guys saw and the one I saw was actually restored, digitally restored by J.J. Abrams and his team. The sound was restored and the video. This influenced a lot of things. The Nightmare on Elm Street series was heavily influenced by this, as was Hellraiser. Uh, when you start to see the second movie, it's very Supernatural-esque, the TV show. There's two guys driving around the U.S., fighting supernatural creatures in a in a muscle car which is very similar to that and you know supernatural just finished their 15 year run so this the the, inf- the tentacles of this movie reach far and wide so i i picked it because this is the first movie that ever terrified me and and i want to get into some of that let, let me just really quickly tell you what the movie's about the movie's about a kid his older brother and an ice cream man who discover that a shape-shifting interdimensional being called the tall man is harvesting dead bodies and turning them into tiny slave labor for his home planet and I would imagine, I got to tell you, the movie is much harder to follow than that sentence was. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, so let's talk about the tall man. First impressions of he and his power. Denon, what did you think? I actually think he was one of the best parts of the movie. He was super creepy um, at, at an acting level. This is cool, like top level acting. Mm-hmm. And I'm still trying to figure out, is he a shapeshifter or is he merely messing with people's minds and it's more an illusion. Um, and and from you know talking to you, Dan, as the expert on this, my understanding is we really, really don't know which way this goes with him. You know what his true powers are. He clearly does a lot, standing really still and staring at people, and causes all sorts of problems. Yeah, he appears to have some telekinetic powers. They they you know in a lot of the research they say he has shape. He's a shapeshifter, but it could be mind altering powers. You know. Uh, ben, while we were talking about this movie, he mentioned the, the telekinetic, the mind powers. Uh, that may be part of it. Um, ben, where do you stand on that? Do you still think this is mind, mind-based? mind It certainly seems plausible. We definitely know he's telekinetic. We see him knock over Michael's dirt bike while he's very rudely riding a dirt bike in a cemetery. I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I think he kind of deserved it on that front. You shouldn't do that. I'm with you on that. I'm 100%. I don't like that but, at all. But he clearly is able to knock things over with his mind. So it certainly seems plausible that he has the power to project um, thoughts into your mind if he can push a whole dirt bike over. Right. No, it's it's very true. And, and I think that so the tall man has a, a series of, I guess, you know, powers and creatures and devices at his disposal. And before we get right into this, we're going to talk about the silver spheres, which are obviously the star of the movie, in my opinion, definitely the star of the franchise. I, I want to keep this in mind. F- frequency is is a theme throughout this movie and the entire franchise. We're probably going to come back to that a few times because we see a tuning fork, and I, this is a spoiler alert for you guys, but that tuning fork that we see that Reggie holds that we, we're going to talk about later on, it, it, it's, it has the ability to destroy the spheres, to pause this tall man in reality, and affect those goalpost-like portals at the end of the movie, which we're going to talk about. So keep that in mind as we go forward. But first, let's talk about the silver spheres. You know, the, the these are big, they're a silver sphere that flies around, that has these two spikes that will attach right on the forehead, almost like a face hugger, and drill right there, and then suck your brain and your blood out in an attempt to, uh, I guess, just drain you dry like an, a, a portable, embalming, flying embalming unit. Uh, these things are terrifying, and they seem to fly without any sort of propulsion system. Let's talk about the physics first, then I want to talk about that non-existent propulsion system with Ben. Well, I, I think you said it, Dan. 
the weird physics in these things for me was how do they fly? Because they don't have any apparent propulsion. They are spherical, so they don't really seem to have any aerodynamic or lift surfaces. Uh, they seem to be able to hover as well as travel very quickly. Um, so they're the ultimate in strange physics of flight. And very rarely can I be stumped on how something might happen. Um, but making these things fly are consistent with the entire movie. It's a very stump-filled movie, um, excuse the pun. And <laughs> I, But I'll, I will tell you this. There is a counterbalance to the challenge of the physics of flying. I just have to mention quickly. I love the fact that this is the first blood-draining thing I've ever seen that had a clear draining tube. They just sucked all the excess blood out the back of the thing, which implies there is a hole in the back, and that could be the propulsion section, right? That could be a dual-purpose hole that you just don't see really the jet um, you know, exhaust or whatever is being sent out the back through the hole that doubles as a blood drain and propulsion. So that was kind of where I went. I kind of went from very confused, oh, it drains blood, it has a hole, oh, maybe that's the propulsion. Well, two things before I ask, ask Denon, for the audience, you got to be aware of two things that just happened there. Number one, this movie stumped Denon, who's made a career on not being able to be stumped by superhero or science fiction things. And number two, you mentioned the dual action hole on the sphere, which is kind of like, uh, you know, kind of like a cloaca. The, the, these are little holes in biology that both act as poop and egg holes. Uh, both in a chicken and a snake, things like that. Um, so what did you think about this, Ben? Could this be double as a great propulsion system? I think Denon pretty much nailed it. The it, It's clear that you could just have the, the exhaust of whatever propulsion system is going on in this ball coming out the back. The other nice thing about it being a, a ball is that it could theoretically be spinning to help stabilize itself by creating eddy currents through that spinning. But... That doesn't seem to be the case because we do see um, it fly for a pretty long distance once it puts the spikes out. So it seems like it's stable even in a non-spinning uh, configuration. Well, that's interesting because one of the things that I notice as the movies go on, these things become almost very clunky. When they're when they're grouped together as you know as a group of these spheres, they almost act like magnetic balls that are kind of like going back and forth with each other a little bit as the poles mm. kind of adjust, which is kind of an interesting take. Uh, and also, they're very clumsy in the air. They're almost like you know beetles flying through. Right now, where, where I am, there's lots of these big green beetles flying around, and they're very clumsy, kind of adorably so. And I feel like these these spheres, while not having wings, have a very similar flight pattern. I don't know if that, well, that means anything. No, that's really interesting, Dan, because that shows a de-evolution. Uh, again, you're the expert who's watched all five. I'm basing it purely on the first movie, where these were very, very fast and very, I felt, um, stable in the air. Um, now, it may have been the high speeds they were going at that, you know, like a pitcher's fastball becomes more stable. I would have liked to see some threading on these. That would have been cool. Um, to get that same sort of surface contours that you have in a baseball. Um, we know ping pong's balls are much more, you know, sort of floaty and have trouble. But, uh, you know, as Ben said, the one advantage of spheres is we make lots of things that are spheres that do seem to fly for short distances. And they really are only going the length of the hallways in, in the first movies. So maybe that's that's their secret. It is kind of like a pitcher's fastball. They get kicked off somewhere and then they go. 
I think that th that is really interesting. And one of the other tricks here as we talk about flying is as the series moves along, there are lots, these things have lots of capabilities. So the first one, obviously, they're all st come standard issue on these spheres is the two, the two prongs that kind of go into your temple right by your eyeballs and then the drill, obviously, that goes right in your forehead to take the brain out. But they also have lots of different, they've got a little mini buzzsaw that they cut someone's ear off with. Uh, they've got, uh, you know, in, in some of the later movies, they have uh, an ability to have like a red sensor, almost like when you see Mission Impossible and they have those, those like, you know, what do you call those? Like a little laser beam tripwires, you know, something like that. And they're able to detect things. Mm. Uh, they, they have, some, you know, the golden ones have like a, almost like a diamond tip that can go through, through deep, you know, big, thick walls. They blow up a rat with some of their lasers. And I'm saying this because there's a lot of things that they're fitting into these balls, which weighs them down. What do you think about this from an engineering standpoint, Ben? What, what, do, you, what do you think? How is this, are they able to to do this while still maintaining uh, the, you know, the, f the lift, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it all just comes down to having a good amount of thrust um, in your ball. The you, in order to pick up all that weight, you you just need a an equivalently strong engine that can lift it. And what we know is that this is especially true in like in model airplanes and such that you can make very small, very powerful jets and rockets. Um, that can lift many, many times their own weight. So that part to me doesn't seem like a problem at all. You just have to have a good control system that can angle that uh, thrust in a way that is useful for the for the floating ball. Well, and what, what also is kind of interesting here is coordination, right? So we have lots of these different little devices that are going on. They seem to make their own decisions. So there's a couple different things that I think kind of go together. As we see in the first movie, they almost have... Like like the Predator, we just covered the Predator in our in our fame, our infamous Schwarzenegger September, where we, when the Predator takes his helmet off, he can see everything in kind of this weird red, and and we see that vision, and and I don't know if that has anything to do with their ability to see blood. Is it infrared so they can see warm-blooded animals? And they also seem to have some kind of sensor that when they're attached to flesh, they don't move around. They make a point to mentioning that of mentioning that in some later movies. So they must have some kind of you know. A flesh sensor, I guess, for lack of a better term. So what do you think about this? Um, Denon, I'm going to ask you first. What do you think about this from a physics standpoint? Well, you know, certainly the sensor technology makes a lot of sense. You're going to have something in the ball to detect where you want to go. And I was really intrigued by this. And this is a part, I like the idea because it's non-traditional, of more a blood detector than, say, heat sensing. From the perspective of a lot of the medical technology we're developing now is really about um, carefully measuring the properties of your blood, how oxygenate, oxygenate. Get it, get it, Denon. You got it. How much oxygen is in your blood? You know, <laughs> um, or other properties of your blood as it's going and flowing, because that's a good measure of health. And I think these things are much more of that chemical sensor. They're looking at the spectrum that blood absorbs or reflects, and that's almost more critical for these than whether you're warm or cold-blooded. Because I think at the end of the day, you know, they could probably make zombies out of reptiles just as happily as, as they could out of humans. And so they're really looking for creatures with blood more than they're looking for a particular temperature range for the creature. So I think that's the kind of sensor you have. And it is a little more interesting than other things we've seen. Um, and so, and, and it's predictive of where technology went in, in the real world in terms of medical technology. 
You know, mosquitoes are really blood-detecting biological creatures, and I wonder if these spheres kind of employ some of the same techniques, such as detecting the carbon dioxide we exhale or the heat we radiate. What do you think about that, Ben? Well, you're exactly right. Bugs actually look for the carbon dioxide that we exhale to find us. So it, it's, it, it certainly makes sense that these would be looking more for evidence of metabolism. So carbon dioxide, um, uh, pulsing heat. So like you, you can, you can see your, you can see your, your pulse in your uh, heat signature if you look very closely. So being able to see that uh, would be very important so you don't just attack like chimneys or hot uh, wa- uh, hot you know electrical panel <laughs> which wouldn't be where you'd find blood and delicious brains <laughs> that's very true that's very true so they must have these specialized equipment and I will tell you later on we find out that little bits of brain are actually what power these balls so there is a biological component to them which is really interesting so let's move on one of the other interesting things in this movie is the gravity specialized slave labor I'm going to call it and what's kind of funny about this is again as Denon pointed out this is this kind of skirts along this this very narrow line because this is not a zombie movie, but the movies are about collecting the dead and reanimating them and and kind of creating these small little creatures, which look, Ben, you said it earlier, they 100% look like Jawas. This is only two years out from Star Wars. Uh, This came out in 79. Star Wars came out in 77. So there's a little bit of gimmick infringement here. But what what do you think about this? So so they're they're kind of, they take these these things, they reanimate these bodies, and they crush them down in these special barrels, almost like how you, you cook a diamond, right? What would it take... As you know, it's kind of our space guy. What would it take to exist? These are these are being made for high a high gravity planet. So, what would a creature look like that 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 would live on a high gravity planet? So, it really depends on the the extent of how high the gravity is. So, what we know about our biology is that the one of the hardest jobs our heart and our circulatory system has to do is fight gravity. It has to pump our blood into our heads and pump our pump the like deoxygen deoxygenated blood out of our legs and all the way back up to our heart and lungs. That's a really, really difficult job. So if you're on a planet with even higher gravity, uh, shrinking down is going to be important because your heart will have to work too hard to do what it would need to do. So it makes sense that, you know, for these higher higher gravity planets, you would end up being shorter or maybe you you could even end up being like quadrupedal where you end up crawling around so that your heart doesn't have to work so much. That's really interesting. I didn't think about that. Um, I mean, they, they, the fact that they're bipedal, they are a little awkward. They're kind of like walk around like toddlers. Uh, so I don't know. There's probably a little bit of that. And maybe they're used to running around in, in high G. So regular G is a little difficult. Um, but then what did you think about these guys? Well, I would agree, first of all. Ben, I think, nailed the main physics problem for these Um, creatures is the blood. And I think most people watching actually might have had a common misconception that they're short because of the forces on them and and the bones and devoid being crushed. And that's actually much less of a problem. The structural issues um, are easier to overcome because it's kind of a constant force and and gravity isn't going to vary that much over your height. But the blood pressure issue is a big one. So I really like that. The other comment Um, that I would make a little bit, you had alluded to this, and I was wondering about this, you know, pressurized as a diamond was an interesting phrase. 
And I do wonder if it's high gravity as well as a high pressure atmosphere. Because they don't ha- you know, it doesn't have to be a high pressure atmosphere because the pressure of the atmosphere will depend on the gravity and the density. And we don't know how dense, you know, the atmosphere really is. But you could imagine they're in these barrels and they're being pressurized to prepare for that. Um, and then when they're on the normal pressure of the earth and, and walking around, maybe they're just a little goofy and lightheaded. Um, and it's causing them problems, hence the stumbling. Right. That's kind of what I had a feeling that since they are built for this other world, being here, it's they're just, you know, it's just not their world, right? Like they're just going to be like in a stranger in a strange land. Here they are the aliens, I guess, even though they are made of, of human stuff. But and, you, and I think, Dan, you know, that'll make them grumpy and why they're so cranky and running around and grabbing people. Like they're just not feeling good. Right. You know, they're, they're just not feeling it. And you know, they're like, whoa, what's going on? Yeah. It's like being, it's constantly being, you know, seasick or, or motion sickness, right? I guess. Uh, yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, but one of the things you mentioned, you guys talked about, both of you talked about blood in the relationship of pressure, but we see their blood as well as the tall man. They both have this kind of yellow mucusy blood and it is a little bit thicker and it is yellow. So I, I've got some examples in nature that are very similar to this, but I want to talk about this first. Um, so when we talk about blood pressure, let's talk about the physics of blood moving through the body and would thicker blood help on a high gravity planet? Well, really, it's not, it's not so much the thickness is going to help in a weird way because your pressure is related to the density of the blood, the gravity you're feeling, and the height. Um, so if you were worried just about pressure, you'd, you'd actually want thinner blood, ironically, to get the, the pressure differences lower. However, um, you know, as you're trying to pump harder, as you're trying to pump harder, as you're heart's pumping harder and overcoming pressure, it is interesting. The density might make the flow um, be less turbulent or more appropriate. So you could have other benefits of having this slightly thicker blood. Um, and I wonder if it's just, you know, the material, you know, the fluid you need and the chemicals that get added to make them breathe appropriately in both Earth and the conditions on the other planet that just leads to a naturally thicker blood and has less to do with the pressure. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, how does that fit into your paradigm, Ben, with when you're talking about this? Yeah, I mean, Dan kind of nailed it. The, the thicker blood is actually a problem because that increased viscosity will make it more, more difficult to push your blood. And it, the, the whole problem in the higher gravity is pushing your blood around your body. And if your blood is thicker and more resistant to movement, you're more likely to blow out a vessel or some other problem. Now, what's interesting, though, is it's not clear if the yellow stuff is has taken the place of blood or if they're kind of just yellow goo filled sacks now, because it's when when at least with the tall man, when we see him cut, when we see his fingers get cut off, it kind of seems like the whole thing is yellow goo, not necessarily that there's, you know, a blood structure going on in that thing because like the the goo kind of leaks from the whole the whole of the finger not from like specific points like blood would <laughs> well, well he does get his finger cut off yeah and i will tell you that that scene in the movie where he gets his hand caught and then michael cuts off his fingers haunted me for uh for decades after seeing that when i was a very young yeah. young little tyke now, now let's talk about the blood for a second as far as the color goes this is interesting because obviously as humans we are very used to red blood uh, but a lot of animals have different colored blood. You know, there, there's uh, the octopus has blue blood. The horseshoe crab famously has blue blood that contains a natural source of a protein used in vaccines. 
which is very interesting. The oscillated ice fish has clear blood. The skink, you guys know what a skink is? Any idea? I do not, Dan. Ben, ben you got any ideas? Yeah, it's a lizard. Yes, nailed it. It's a lizard, and they have green blood, uh, which is, I mean, they'd make a perfect animated lizard, because I think all animated lizards have green blood. Um, And the sea cucumber has yellow blood. There is an animal with yellow blood, but this has nothing to do with oxygen transfer. Uh, It's from a a vanadium-based pigment called vanabin, and they believe this is used as a defense mechanism in the sea cucumber to make it unappealing or toxic, which fits right into the narrative we're trying to talk about with the tall man. Uh, so what do you think about that, Denon? I like that. And I like the idea of being toxic and unappealing because the tall man is definitely unappealing. For sure. Um, and, and you really don't want anyone, you know, biting you, um, particularly your, your little Jawa minions. So um, going with a toxic um, chemical in your blood makes perfect sense to me. Um, I, I like that. You know, all scary things are poisonous. I, I think so. I think also along the lines of the sea cucumber, sea cucumbers have amazing regenerative properties. They can regrow huge amounts of their internal organs and other things. So the fact that they're maybe taking this inspiration explains how the tall man gets his fingers back after uh, Michael chops them off. Right, which would also explain that when they're cut off and they kind of operate on their own, they're kind of like little sea cucumbers walking around. Although I've never seen one turn into an insect before. Um, But we're going to hold on to that for a second. Let's talk about the portal to another dimension, guys. We've mentioned the creatures that live in this other world. We've talked about their blood, but we haven't talked about how they get there. There is this very strange um, kind of goal posty portal, which is two big metal posts in the ground, which transports you to this other dimension. I kind of like this because clearly they make an allusion to vibration. I mentioned frequency at the beginning of the episode. So let's talk about the physics of how this would work. Uh, Denon, what do you think about this? Well, it's an interesting choice because we've talked about lots of portals and interdimensional travel, and usually we're focusing on space, time, and general relativity as the underlying feature. This seems to be much more reliant on a quantum idea that we're familiar with in quantum mechanics called quantum tunneling, where you set up a vibration of the quantum wave function that's basically a standing wave. So it's a vibration that connects two points that normally aren't connected with a large amplitude. Kind of like when you pluck a string on a guitar and you fix both ends of that string, the whole guitar string vibrates at both places. Whereas if you have a loose string and you pluck one end, the wave kind of dies away. So there's an underlying, I think, quantum idea that we have to build upon to get to this idea of this particular transporter. Well, I also want to point out the brilliance of your analogy because you mentioned a guitar string. Uh, we they, they show a tuning fork in the movie. There's lots of musical undertones here. Um, I like that very much so. Uh, done on purpose. Uh, <laughs> done on purpose, Dan. <laughs> of course it was. Of course it was. And if it wasn't, I, I hope you would never admit that. Um, ben, what did you think about this? Uh, yeah, so what, what's really interesting to me is, is that targeting feature. Like, clearly they've targeted this alternate planet. So there's a big question with this tuning fork uh, scary back room in the mausoleum is how do they how do they set up that standing wave to link the two? And it's very important that you get these vibration patterns uh, that link these two worlds uh, synced up properly. So and it might not and it probably wouldn't just be audio. There's got to be some sort of quantum nature. So maybe they've brought in material from the planet that they're linking to, 
or maybe there's just a very specific characteristic and size and shape and anchoring of those metal bars that are earth of earth origin. And that's how they've set up this link. No, I think that that's a great way to explain it. And I do want to mention one other thing here. That scary portal back room is opened by a silver sphere. They use it as a key to get in there, which shows that these guys have, those little silver spheres have a lot of uses in this world, which is not unlike the flying key in Harry Potter. Another uh, inspiration, J.K. Rowling, gimmick infringement. I don't know. Uh, it's very possible. Um, and so one of the things here to end the movie, when they've got this portal, you know, they got the tuning fork as an example example, it vibrates. So Reggie gets it in his head that if I can stop the vibration of these two posts, maybe that will happen. He puts his hands on it and it at, at the very least changes the frequency if it doesn't shut it off. And there is a huge vacuum here. Uh, ben, I know you know how this how this is working. Yeah. So what's clear to me is Reggie has upset the natural frequency and targeting of this portal and what we know about space is that almost all of space is empty. You know, there's very few planets and stars and things when you look at the overall size of the universe. So if you upset that targeting, even the slightest, you're just going to end up venting to some middle of nowhere in the universe. And so it makes perfect sense that by messing up these posts, you just end up getting a vacuum because I think you just link into a total emptiness somewhere. <laughs> I think that I love that. I wasn't sure if the vacuum worked because they end up getting sucked into that world and then out. Um, but but uh, does that hold up, Denon? Oh yeah, the vacuum's exactly what's going on here because you got the low pressure on the other side of the portal. It's sucking everybody out. I do think it's fascinating. Reggie really has the characteristics of a superhero in this scene because he is able to crawl out of this room that is sucking everything out on a very very smooth looking floor. So he's doing an impressive job of generating some friction between himself and the floor. Clearly by pushing down, he's a very strong man, and he manages to get himself out of the room. That was a piece of physics in the movie that actually my daughter turned to me and said, how come he's not sliding out too? What is he holding on to? So I, I, I gave him credit. He's pushing down, increasing his friction, and moving out. So I will point out, I wasn't completely stumped. There were moments that made perfect sense. Well, I will tell you that what's amazing is as you watch the movies, they use the same actors and Reggie is ha he has that exact same hairstyle through the entire movie which is over 40 years of films so as far he's he's hung on to that ponytail for 40 years so it does not surprise me that he could hang on to the floor while getting sucked out by an interdimensional uh, rift uh, but we've got we've come to my favorite part of the show which is our errors additions and omissions things we want to talk about but we're not going to but we sometimes do Ben did you have anything for phantasm yeah, one thing I, I thought was really interesting was when we see this little alien bug thing somehow pupate out of the tall man's cutoff finger, uh, what I really liked is how they then tried to shove it in, a, in the garbage disposal and somehow shoving the jean jacket shrouded uh, space alien d demon into the garbage disposal and it still ran. So I was very impressed by the engineering of this garage garbage disposal to survive such uh, shredding. And in 80s denim, this was real denim. Yeah, this real wasn't denim. Like, this wasn't yeah. like 2020 denim. This was 1980 denim, 1979 yeah, no, this denim. stretchy denim. 
<laughs> yeah, this is the real thing. This wasn't, uh, what do they call those? The denim that already has holes in it. <laughs> right. Yeah, stressed and distressed denim. Or the, what do they call those, like those leotards that have, like they're G. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, I was amazed. Jeggings, there you go. That's it. I was impressed by that too. Uh, Dennis, what about you? What did you think about that? I've actually got two here. One follows on what Ben said, and I have to give my daughter credit for this. They're trying to kill the thing in the garbage disposal with a perfectly good blender on the counter. Um, a much better choice for seeing if you successfully chopped up an insect. Sure. Um, and number two, you've mentioned the uh, infringement, sort of, possibly, of the Jawa. There is also a random scene where he goes and sees someone talking about the future, and you've got an elderly, mysterious lady makes a box appear that he sticks his hand in. This is straight out of Dune, the gum jabar. I, I don't know what what's going on here, if it's just a reference, and it's never used again in the movie. So uh, a Dune crossover, I guess. Well, when, when did Dune come out before we start leveling accusations? Well, the Dune, the book was written like way before. Before. The book, the book's old. It's classic science fiction. All right, all right. Maybe it is gimmick infringement. Uh, well, I got a couple things here. First of all, I owe both of you a heartfelt apology. I want to start out by saying I, I'm a guy. I may be the analytical mastermind, but I can admit when I'm wrong. And I will say that I reviewed the tapes carefully. And the Last Action Hero was not. You guys, neither one of you committed to the Last Action Hero being your favorite movie. So I'd like to sincerely apologize. But you did <laughs> put it up there in the top list, which was very impressive. Uh, number two, you guys can answer this. one one really quickly but Michael when he's he gets locked into his room and he for some reason has a shotgun shell sitting around in one of his drawers and he he kind of jury rigs it up to a hammer and then he takes the shotgun shell and the hammer and he hits his door with it to blow himself out of his room would that work can you give me a 30 seconds or less Ben I'm gonna talk to you as our engineer not well <laughs> no the the problem with a shotgun shell especially is the side of the shotgun shell is usually made out of a soft material, like a plastic or a paper of some sort. And so if you smash it against a door like that, um, one, I'm not even sure if you'd really get enough force to pop the firing pin into the, into the, and actually cause the shell to go off, uh, because I think the shell would probably just crumble. <laughs> but even, even if it did actually fire, you have the problem of it'll just blow out the shell and not really do a lot of forward motion to blow the door up. Okay, so that was that's a no. I'm I'm assuming that. Uh, yeah, not, Dan, I, just, I just have to interrupt here yeah. with personal experience. My brother was once locked in our bathroom, and much to my parents' chagrin, just took the hammer because that's where my dad kept his tools in the bathroom. Don't ask. And he just hammered his way through the door and got out. So you do not need a shotgun shell. You just need a hammer. <laughs> I, when you said for personal experience, I was wondering if your brother shot himself out of the bathroom. That was <laughs> no, nope, no, nope, just a hammer. That's all you need. That's all you need. That's a very good point. I love that. Um, so that's that's using logic. So here's something that didn't use logic. What's up with all the sex in graveyards? Like, what, is that where people go to hook up? I would never in my wildest dreams do that. Um, <laughs> not, not, not a, although I, I, I had an experience outside of a graveyard. I just That just popped into my head. But it wasn't in the graveyard. Um, but now I guess I kind of get it as I'm talking myself through this. Last thing, that psychic grandma that you mentioned, Denon. Um, there are hints that uh, she may have been married to the tall man whose name is Jebediah Morningside in, in a previous life or in the past it's very ambiguous as everything in this movie but what are you going to do i don't know the answer but that psychic grandma and her daughter were very very strange one of my favorite parts of the movie so that is phantasm we actually did not get to our four-barreled shotgun which i wanted to talk about but there may if we missed anything else or you want any other cult films you want i've got denon and ben already 
super excited to watch more classic horror movies. So if you have some suggestions, you can send them to the show. We're on Twitter at FGGBTPod, on Facebook at FGGBT, but you can talk to us individually. Denon, where can people find you? Just reverse my name for Twitter and Instagram. It's at Denon Michael. And if you want to find me on Facebook, stick a prof in there, at Prof Denon Michael. Ben, where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at B Seepser. How do you spell that? B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. And I can be found on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Instagram at the Daniel J. Glenn, on Facebook at analytical mastermind well i gotta thank you guys i know it was very it was it was punishing it was terrifying uh but i'm glad you got through phantasm because that is one of my favorite movies and i hope it didn't traumatize you the way that it traumatized me as a child but we've got flying spheres we've got dangerous aliens and caustic blood and we've taught you how to make all this stuff so if you're got if you've got the secret to any of this stuff be careful with this technology you want to be a superhero not a supervillain. until next time thank you for listening Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glenn co-production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, if you like this show, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? The good news is we're on all the major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and now Spotify. If you're not already on those platforms, don't worry. We've made it very easy for you. Go to our website, fgbt.com. That's fgbt.com, where you will find links to everything you're looking for. All the subscribe buttons at the bottom of the page. Links to our social media are right there. And if you go to the top of the page, you'll see a little button that says episodes click on that and go to your favorite episode there you can find the show in its entirety you can find the links that we talked about the in real life examples that we brought to you including videos and of course we've got each episode has its own youtube video you can watch it there if you prefer and if you like this show you're gonna like everything that i do go to danieljglenn.com to find out more thank you for listening